Good morning, guys. It is Monday, October 18th, episode 185. And today I have Ethan Liu, author and journalist. He is the author of a new book that is coming out tomorrow, Once a Bitcoin Miner, where he details his adventurous trip to North Korea, what he learned about crypto, blockchain, what was going on there, how the government wanted to use it. And he tells a bunch of stories. Um, you're you're going to really enjoy it. So go check out his book and make sure you get it tomorrow, um, October 19th. Anyways, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and Ethan Liu. Enjoy. All right, Ethan, welcome to the Blockhash Podcast. How you doing? Hey, I am well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, where are you from? I am from Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. How do you like it there? It's very cold. It was okay the last few days, but it just started to turn cold. And, you know, when things turn cold, they just turn cold so quickly. Oh, geez. Yeah, I know. I mean, I would probably turn into a popsicle there. I'm not meant for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me neither. Hate the cold. Oh, yeah. It, it's difficult sometimes. Um, but that's cool, though. And I know that you have a, a book that's coming out. It's coming out tomorrow, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very excited. Me too. Me too. Um, we'll definitely jump into that and talk about it. I have a lot of questions for you. But before we do, um, tell me more about yourself and your background. You know, how did you get into the line of work that you do now? Um, journalism, being an author, um, maybe in crypto and stuff like that. What's your story? Mm -hmm. So I write this column in a Canadian newspaper called the Financial Post. And I used to work at Reuters. I was there for two years. I, before that, I was at the Toronto Star. And we all contain multitudes. So I am also a crypto investor. I invest in Bitcoin in 2013. And that's how I got sucked into this whole rabbit hole of this space. And thus, I ended up writing that book. That, yeah, that's actually very early, 2013. Was there anything in particular that you know caught your interest about that? Yeah, so I, I basically started like the, when I first heard about Bitcoin, it was on the dark web. My friends and I, we uh, we were there for just no damn reason. But it was I, we found it so interesting, you know, that, that was before Silk Road was busted. And there's just so much interesting, so many interesting, interesting things you can buy there. And that's how I noticed that how the people transacted that uh, it was with Bitcoin. And, you know, you... I think lots of people may not agree with that use case, but the reason that Bitcoin is being used there is because it's a purely user to user kind of interaction and the funds theoretically, at least uh, they can't be frozen. And, you know, there is a certain value and a certain power in that. And I think I saw that back then, but I definitely did not see it to a huge degree. You know, like I didn't see it with a 10, maybe or four. It, it took a while. And it took almost a whole year for from when I first heard of Bitcoin to when I actually bought it. Yeah, that was actually one of the first times I heard about Bitcoin, too. I was, I was actually wondering for a second, what are you doing on the dark web, dude? Um, but <laughs> no, it was such a big deal. I remember when I was in college, um, a lot of that stuff like Silk Road, for example, uh, made Bitcoin like super, super popular. And um, they were huge at the time. And um, yeah, that's definitely how I really got introduced to Bitcoin, unfortunately. Um, you know, watching it get that notoriety in, in a bad way, but it's um, definitely evolved quite a bit over time. Um, and then what did you do after that? Mm -hmm. Well, I uh, 
so 2013, that was, so I, one of the reasons I ended up actually investing and what was that I was writing about Bitcoin in, uh, in this little newspaper in the, in Eastern Canada, I was, uh, right after my second year of university, I was interning, I interviewed this guy called Anthony Diorio. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we know him now as one of the co-founders of Ethereum, but back then there was no Ethereum. He had started this thing called the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. And I, I talked with him and I think that was the first time I talked with someone uh, about Bitcoin, who was someone who actually knew what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, toward the end of 2013, I, I, I first uh, invested in Bitcoin and then it just fell 50%. And, and I was just thinking, well, what the hell did I get myself into? Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> um, we've, we've all bought into it maybe at the wrong time or, you know, held it for a long time and watched it go through these crazy volatility cycles. But, you know, that's kind of how the industry works until it gets a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more stabilized. But, um, you have, yeah, so you have a book coming out tomorrow. Um, you know, it's kind of based on crypto and stuff what what's the gist of it that you can give away mm -hmm. well it's uh it's, it follows the adventures of uh, of someone who got in at around 2013 mm -hmm. throughout this space until now and it's it's you know it's non-fiction but it's meant to read like a novel it's you know it's, it's journalism it's based on reporting and uh, mm -hmm. i like to think it's ultimately driven by uh, by plot and characters and among the highlights uh, i was in north korea with uh Virgil Griffith, who recently uh, pleaded guilty to uh, helping North Korea evade sanctions through crypto, and that was uh, yeah, that was a hell of a trip. Yeah, that that's got to be interesting. Um, so you went to Pyongyang, correct? That is correct. Okay, um, what was that like? What what was the experience? Did it feel weird? Um, was it any different than you know people say it is? Um, and then I know there's like a bit of a crypto perspective from what was going on there too. Um, what can you share without giving away, you know, too much from the book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was definitely weird, and it was not what I expected uh, because the the conference was kind of advertised as a uh, as a chance for people to know about North Korea and crypto. At least that was how I perceived it. I thought I would be there to, uh, you know take in presentations by the North Koreans, because as we all know, North Korea has been accused of doing lots of shady stuff with crypto. I thought I'd get a firsthand look into, into what was happening, but it, unexpectedly, when we got there, we were told that we were supposed to be presenting to the North Koreans. And I, I know there were like a few among us, like one or two who they were actual crypto experts. And when they went into North Korea, they were expecting to present, but most of us, uh, we were quite surprised uh, by that ask, and ultimately I declined. But I didn't get to hear from a single North Korean with respect to the country's crypto developments, and and uh, the, the the our North Korean minders were telling us that the country doesn't know anything about crypto, which uh, it feels a bit like a performance. Yeah, how did you actually get into North Korea? I know it's different for um, Americans, but maybe it's easier as a Canadian, or maybe it's because you were going there for a specific reason. But how, how did you get in? Mm, well, it's actually not that hard to go to North Korea. Uh, but these days, amid the pandemic, I think the whole country is closed. And okay. recently, there was a case of this young American guy uh, back when Americans could still go. So now 
now Americans can't go because he went there. He got accused of uh, stealing some poster or something, and mm-hmm. it turned out very badly for him. And he ended up dying upon his return to the U.S. So Americans were banned as a result. But uh, generally, to go to North Korea, you you can't go in by yourself. But they have these tourism companies, and for us, uh, I think our the trip was directly tied uh, to the I guess organizers of the conference. So had to get a visa from Beijing and. Uh, one thing about North Korea is that the North Korean airlines, the, their planes are so old that they were they're banned from Europe and they can't fly long distances. So the only way into North Korea, you either uh, the only way in via air, you either fly in from China or you fly in from Russia. Okay, got it. Yeah, I imagine their planes are pretty old because they're not really able to. No one's really to fly in except if you're like China or Russia, which have a bit more of a stand, uh, stronghold there. But um, no, that's that's interesting, and you had the opportunity to uh did you meet with virgil as well in north korea or have a chance to interview him or what was that interaction that you had Mm -hmm. well so first i I would say that i i went into north korea purely in a personal capacity Uh i i did not expect that trip to make the news in this way so okay i i wasn't expecting to write about it but uh clearly in a way that i didn't nobody expected but uh, I did spend, uh, I guess, a whole week with Virgil in close company. So there were only eight of us, uh, eight. Uh, that's another thing. I thought uh, the conference was quite big, but it turns out there were just eight foreigners. <laughs> yeah, that's a tiny conference. Um, can you enlighten people a little bit on who Virgil is um, that, that might not know? Because I mean, crypto, the history of crypto, even though it's only been like 10, 11, 12 years, it's, there's so much that goes on that it kind of like goes every, over everyone's head. So um Tell us a little bit about Virgil and like what kind of went down there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, before I do that, I, I would like to say, you know, what, what you said about so much happening in crypto, despite it only being 10 years, I fully <laughs> agree with that statement. You know, I think that's this quote from this Russian guys, guy. There are uh, weeks where nothing happens, but weeks where also decades happen. And yeah, I think crypto is, is that kind of space. That yeah. definitely makes sense. And yeah, anyway, um, Virgil, he's the head of special projects, or he was head of special projects at the uh, Ethereum Foundation. So he's uh, quite a big shot in the crypto world. And I think among the people, uh, the eight of us who went there, he was the only like notable person in the crypto world. And so, yeah, I think it's possibly a reason like why uh, he he had caught the government's attention in this way. Yeah, was he actively uh, trying to help the North Korean government use blockchain um, in terms of like avoiding sanctions and stuff like that? Or would they um, just taking ideas from him or what was happening? Yeah, see, I, I don't think that he uh, he had any malicious intent. And the, the defense has been saying that uh, what went on in North Korea, uh, the, what was said at the conference, it was simply publicly available information. You know, you could look it up on the Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. And having been there, I tend to agree with that. It, it actually wasn't very interesting stuff. It was like crypto 101. But so, but the prosecution was saying that doesn't matter. And ultimately, the charge against Virgil is that uh, basically two things. One is that he had the intention of helping North Korea and uh, he acted on that intent. And intent is a bit subjective, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, given what what has happened and the fact that he had talked willingly to investigators, they have a lot of information on him and they even have a recording of the conference. And 
no, so I think uh, at at the end of the day, what he was feeling in his heart, his intentions, they, they don't really matter. There's so much evidence against him, and he evidently broke the letter of the law. Yeah, it's it's such a weird thing to kind of debate because you know North Korea has definitely been crippled completely by sanctions, and I can understand from one perspective why wanting to lend a hand to you know help people there, especially if you're there and you're seeing people struggle because of it, wanting to help them find a way out, maybe through blockchain. Then at the same time, it's like, yeah, do you really want to help a, a regime that isn't doing a whole lot of good things right now? Um, it's going to be really complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And But I think uh, at the heart of it, this trip, uh, it, it was a very surface level thing. And I think for, for all of us, we thought it was just a, a nice little adventure. And I don't think anyone, uh, particularly Virgil, actually thought that he was going to uh, affect any great geopolitical change. Right. I, I bet he didn't think so either. Do you, do you think North Korea is still exploring blockchain in some ways? Um, maybe even whether it's for sanctions or for other purposes, do you think that they're probably, you know, looking at it as a, as a means to grow as a country? Yeah, I think absolutely. And, but I, I think that's still quite far from, uh, really harnessing crypto and blockchain in the way that the U.S. fears. Uh, so what we've read about North Korea, what they've been doing so so far, they've been they've been stealing a lot of coins. And uh, I think it's a great way for North Korea to make money because the, the state is uh, engaged in lots of criminal enterprises. They used to be like, uh, they used to smuggle drugs, they used to print like fake, uh, fake American money. So, mm -hmm. and I, I, I bet stealing crypto, hacking, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot more profitable than what they've been doing in the past. And transactions are irreversible. They, they take it, you know, you, uh, the Americans can't get the money back. But uh, if they truly want to use crypto in international trade to, you know, to, to buy and sell things with other countries because they're barred from dealing with North Korea, uh, I don't think we're there yet. But I think that is really what the U.S. government fears. Yeah, I mean, that would create a lot of fears for a lot of people. Um, do you think the people, um, you said that they really didn't understand crypto and blockchain and Bitcoin when you were there at the time. Do you think that they maybe have a little bit better of an understanding of it and maybe have a bit more of a desire to use it or maybe want to mine it or trade it or maybe even see their government offer them the ability to, to use Bitcoin more? Um, did you get any sense of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not among the people I talked to, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't doubt that I was shown only like a very small and carefully curated part of the country because sure. North North Korean hackers, they are world famous and they are known among the best hackers in the world. I'm sure there are the people in North Korea who are really well versed in this. Uh, we just didn't see them. Mm -hmm. No, I, I believe that. I, I was actually talking to a friend the other day about uh, the movie what was it? the interview with James Franco and Seth Rogen and how they tried to hack Sony <laughs> to yeah. bring the, the bring the movie down because it had a portrayal of Kim Jong-un that wasn't favorable. Um, so I know I, I believe that they definitely have some very good hackers there um, from I guess from your experience, you know, seeing all this and, you know, now being an author um, in the crypto space as well. What, what's your opinion on blockchain? Do you, 
do you really like it as a technology? Do you think it has a lot of good implications for the world going forward? Do you think it's, um, or do you have a different perspective on it or what are your thoughts? Well, I, I still hold crypto, so I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a believer in this. And I, I think I, I would tell this story. It's, it's actually not my story. Alex Gladstein first told it, but I think he has first had knowledge of this, that uh, when, when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban, when um, a lot of refugees, because of how bad their financial in- infrastructure is and how bad their economy is, how bad their currency is, when they leave the country, they take nothing but the clothes on their back. But there was this young young woman who had Bitcoin and she memorized her passphrase. And she it was a torturous journey through Iran and Turkey. And her ship sank in the Mediterranean and she, she really had nothing. But because she memorized her passphrase, she was able to start a new life in Germany. So and I, I think that underscores, I think, the fundamental value proposition of all this. Yeah, I, I've heard tons of stories about that. I live in Latin America in, in Colombia, and um, a lot of people already know uh, Venezuelans have been incredibly displaced and have been affected by you know the the regime and the hyperinflation in Venezuela, and a lot of them have only been able to you know move their value and and pick up and move their lives because of you know Bitcoin, um, and be able to have family from other countries send them money and send them support and. Um, there's a lot of stories like that. Um, I know with Syrian refugees, there's stories like that too. Um, it's a very interesting use case um, from a humanity perspective, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, and I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by such stories. Yeah, yeah, oh. those, those are the best ones. Um, it, what, what about, let um, ask you about Bitcoin too. What, what do you think? I'm sure maybe you hold some Bitcoin as well. Um, do you think it's, you know, you know a good... Uh, potential currency? Do you think it's a good potential store of value? Or how, how do you view it? It's matured a lot over the last, um, I don't know, 11, 12 years now. It's been around for a very long time. Everyone knows about it. And I, I think it's actually you know about to hit an all-time high again in terms of price. And it's getting a lot of adoption, at least in the US. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm... Uh... I'm very optimistic about the Lightning Network, and I, I think that's that's uh, one of the things that will actually help Bitcoin uh, become a currency. Because uh, prior to that, I think the the prospect of Bitcoin being uh, a medium of exchange, as Satoshi Nakamoto had intended, that ship had sailed. But I think with with the Lightning Network, that ship is coming back. And I I also I want to go back to what you said just now about uh, you know the the state of affairs in in Latin America because. I remember a headline, I think it was just from a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Argentina says it's going to freeze grocery prices for 90 days. And in what kind of a world will we have a headline like that? Just really run away inflation. The government has to freeze prices and 90 days. And so I, I, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin, but I think a great part of the price appreciation uh, when we saw it rise uh, close to all-time highs recently it's not all because of the rise of Bitcoin. It's because of the fall of the dollar. Yeah, the, the dollar is, um, you know, it's obviously fighting a lot of inflation fears right now. Um, debt ceiling just got raised and, you know, debt fears are, you know, out of control as well. And when the dollar is hurting, it's hurting a lot of countries, especially in Latin America. 
Um, I, have, I have stories about Argentina too. Um, I remember going there a few years ago and most people, they would only take dollars or, or Bitcoin for anything, whether you're paying for an Uber or paying for food at a restaurant or staying at a hotel, they wouldn't take Argentinian pesos because um, they were very quickly becoming worthless. So I've, I've seen that environment in person and it's, it's kind of sad, but it does make you very hopeful that Bitcoin could help solve some of those problems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not just in Latin America. I was in a few, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, Southeast Asia, some countries there like Cambodia. They, uh, yeah, they don't take their own currency. They only want American dollars from you. Yeah, that's that's also true. I haven't been there yet, but hopefully I'll, I'll get to go to Asia at some point in the future. Um, it's definitely on my list. Um, when your book comes out uh, tomorrow, can people buy it in Bitcoin or crypto? Aha. Uh -huh. So I actually have a long story about this because <laughs> I pe lots of people have asked me that question. And I uh, so I tried to see which uh, where where I can buy the book with Bitcoin and mm -hmm. no bookseller, no takes Bitcoin. And uh, I do know that Amazon in the US, if you use PayPal, you can pay with crypto wherever you use PayPal. So that might be a, a one path. And I I bought a list of every single independent bookstore in the US and Canada. I sent an email to every single one of them asking if uh, they will take Bitcoin. And I asked my publisher, nobody said yes. So eventually I set up my, my, I set up my own portal on my own website. So you, yes, you can pay, uh, you can buy it with Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's the only way you can do it, unfortunately. I'm surprised most publishers aren't doing it. So there's a lot of crypto books coming out. Um, but, you know, it'll probably change in the future. But, yeah, post it on your website, you know, warehouse them and sell them that way in crypto. I'll, I'll buy a book that way, too, in crypto. <laughs> it's always fun. I like paying for things with Bitcoin. You don't get to do it very often. Um, cool. And then um, other than that, where else can people find your book? Because um, it, it'll be out in Canada, obviously. Um, I, I'm from the U.S., Will it be anywhere else distributed, um, any other countries or provinces? Yeah, worldwide. So you will be able okay. to buy it wherever you buy your books. But I would say that if you if you hate Amazon, consider a local independent bookstore. So I, I don't hate Amazon that much. I'm fine with shopping on Amazon. But as much as possible, I try to support local businesses. Hate Amazon. Do you Canadians hate Amazon? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's... Uh, I feel Amazon is part of this whole big tech dominance that's uh, yeah. it's taking over our lives. You know that story Vitalik told about Blizzard taking away his Warlock spell? No, no, I haven't heard that one. Tell me that. Oh, so um, he he loved playing World of Warcraft, and mm -hmm. he worked very hard to be able to cast a spell through his character. He needs to like level up significantly to do that. Spent time and effort. And you know, if your friends play World of Warcraft, if you can cast that spell, you know. Your friends view you favorably. It's, it's very important. But one day, Blizzard just took away that spell from him. And in his words, he cried himself to sleep. And that's one of the reasons he started Ethereum. So I think the <laughs> uh, blockchain, you know, what it seeks to do, to democratize the internet. And I know we're not there yet, but I, I do think uh, these tech giants, they, they are starting to have too much power. Yeah, that's a good motivational factor to start the world's biggest, uh, you know, blockchain <laughs> out there. Um, that, that's cool. I actually didn't know that. Um, yeah, I get it with big tech and, and Amazon stuff like that. In the U.S., we love it because it makes life super, super efficient, convenient. But it's scary too. Uh, they're they're every, everywhere. They control everything. 
Um, you know, they're even taking over banking, which is scary. Um, at some point, you'll just be able to do everything through Amazon and Facebook and um, and Google and Microsoft. And yeah, there's some fears there. Hopefully, we have a bit more of a future that's decentralized and, you know, blockchain plays a bit of a role in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, um, Ethan, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast, explain um, you know your story and you know your trip to North Korea and your experience there. Um, talk about blockchain, Bitcoin a little bit, and obviously your book that's coming out tomorrow. Very excited for it. Um, would love to have you again in the future if you ever do another book um, or if you ever have another experience or take a crazy trip. Uh, just let me know. <laughs> Absolutely, it was uh, it was a great pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>